Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news. You get the best insight and analysis on all issues that you want to debate on the global game. We start, of course, today, where else could we go, with the enfant terrible of Manchester United, Paul Pogba, a man who said himself during a Far East commercial tour that he thought it was a time for a new challenge. And of course, his agent, Mina Raiola, admitted over last weekend that the player wants to leave Manchester United. My information is that he will not have any obstacles put in his way so long as the club who want to buy on meet Manchester United's valuation of £140 million. Now, I think this has obviously been um, endorsed by the manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, though so this is certainly, from my information, the position of the club. They believe that they've effectively come to the end of their patience with him, and I suspect Raiola's as well. And if you think about it, as you know, that's a good profit, Duncan, um, on the fee that Manchester United paid for him. And given that the player's got two years left in his contract... If they can gain that £140 million and then allow Solskjaer or whoever is doing the transfers to reinvest it, then probably that's going to be a good deal for them. Yeah, well, they paid £105 million with £5 million of bonuses to Juventus. You've also got to factor in the, the great highest ever commission paid to a football agent that they, they gave Mino Raiola to do that deal and to um, negotiate Pogba's contract with uh, Manchester United at the time they've got an option of an additional year um, the sort of the unilateral option that Manchester United put in most of their their senior players contracts these days so they've got three years but I think you look at it realistically you've seen how Paul Pogba behaves at a football club when um, he actually when he wants to be there uh, can you imagine how Paul Pogba will behave when he's made it clear that he wants to leave, stated it publicly, as, as you say, the next stage of that um, exit strategy applied by Mino Raiola on, on Friday, um, issuing a statement to the, the Times newspaper, which I think is, if you look at it, probably fairly accurate. Everyone within the club, from the manager to the owner, knows Paul's wishes. Yes, we do all know what's going on with Paul Pogba, you know he wants to leave. Um, and then Raiola continues, everyone knows the willingness of Paul to move on. That's also accurate. We are in the process of that. Yep, that's correct. Raiola is in the process of doing that. Everyone knows what the feeling of, of Paul are. Um, you can fight that as a club. You can fight it. You can insist that the player stays. You can tell him he's not getting his move. But what do you end up with in, in those circumstances? I, I think... A good contrast here is Luis Suarez. Um, it's a similar situation uh, with Suarez when he was at Liverpool at, in his um, going into what, what became his last season there. And Arsenal tried to um, exercise a release clause in his contract, or at least a, an agreement the club had given the player that would allow him to leave for uh, for forty million pounds. And Liverpool outright refused to allow Suarez to go. Um, and Suarez did not, although he was hugely angered by what he felt was a betrayal on the part of the club and a betrayal on the part of 
of the manager, Brendan Rodgers at the time, and not allowing him to leave. Suarez turned around and gave them the best season of his career to date because he wanted to prove to everyone how good he was and ensure he got a transfer the next year. And in the, in the end, he got a tra- the transfer that he'd always wanted, which was to Barcelona um, for a lot more money because of what he'd done on the playing field. And that's Luis Suarez. But anyone who um, knew Suarez as an individual would have been able to predict that there was a good chance he would respond that way because he is a, a, a determined, uh, a bloody-minded individual who wants to prove himself the best. But contrast that with Paul Pogba. And Paul Pogba is a, a man who anyone who's watched him play in for Manchester United on a regular basis can tell, can tell you can be brilliant, but can also be the worst player on the pitch for his team. Um, when he refuses to put effort in, when he refuses to track back, um, when he over-elaborates on the ball, when he makes bad decisions in his long passing, um, when he tries to be too greedy, attempting to score goals when better options are on. Um, so the, the, the character of the individual is such, um, the expectation has to be if you prevent him from moving, you're not going to get a good season from him and you're going to have um, a troublemaker within the squad. So if you have, as you know, as we've said before in this podcast, if you have Real Madrid uh, with their new manager, Zinedine Zidane, prioritising Paul Pogba's capture, um, you have the opportunity to take significant money from Madrid uh, for a player who's causing you trouble and um, reinvest the money from the sale plus the money you save on his very high wages into a squad that needs new investment, that should be the, the pragmatic way to go. The question obviously becomes how much can you actually get from Madrid? Because Madrid aren't stupid. They know the problems you as a club have with the player. They know how the player will agitate to move, how he's been agitating to move. And um, you've, got to cut, you've got to get them to commit to spending cash, which seems to be Manchester United's preference, rather than cash plus players um, who uh, Madrid have already offered Manchester United, Gareth Bale, obviously. There was an attempt um, to offer Thibaut Courtois, who himself doesn't want to get involved in that move, and who Manchester United turned down. There are a number of other players that Madrid want off their books um, and want to uh, secure cash or um, something in return for. So they will be offered to Manchester United. The question is whether Manchester United will... Is there an acceptable compromise there to get them to that, what the United's valuation of Pogba is, including players in the deal? Well, I was told, Duncan, that um, Madrid did make an initial offer last Thursday, which was of 100 million euros plus Danny Chabalos, who has been starring for Spain's under-21s in their um, European under-21 championship campaign. However, United turned that down flat and said that they were only interested in cash. Um, and that's clearly a signal that they do want to reinvest money rather than take uh, any players on make weight. Now, there's lots of speculation over the weekend that Pogba would um, further agitate for his move by not going on uh, the club's pre-season tour, which takes in, first of all, Australia and then uh, other um, Southeast Asian countries. Now, I'm told that in fact Pogba has done the opposite because the club have agreed, as I have said, my information was they will 
allow them to leave if their valuation is met. So Pogba's actually not playing enfant terrible, but playing good guy by saying, OK, I'm going to turn up. And he did, with his club tie on, of all things, um, for the uh, the bus to take him to the team plane, to, which left for Australia on Sunday, last weekend. And he's going to say, OK, uh, you're going to adhere to my wishes to leave. Therefore, I'm going to be the model player for you in order to facilitate my own transfer. Now, that's not really the Paul Pogba we know, Duncan. That's a, that's a very kind of different Paul Pogba, one who is willing to conform uh, to the rules. But clearly, because he's been given the opportunity to get his wish, which is to leave the club. Well, we'll see how long it lasts for. Um, it's interesting, <laughs> the offer, interesting the offer you, you, you mentioned of Chabalos plus £100 million. Um, that seems quite a, a clever uh, attempt by Madrid in that they're offering a player in the age range and um, with the kind of talent profile that Manchester United have been, have been looking at um, as part of the deal. That's something you could see might, might have attracted Ed Woodward. I, I think if I was advising Madrid, um, my suggestion would be for them to uh, buy Sean Longstaff from Newcastle United for £20 million. Pounds. Um, parade him in <laughs> you're, the Real Madrid. You're just being mischievous now. <laughs> put him in front of the, the, the Bernabeu fans. Um, up his value by saying, look, this is our great young signing that Madrid have brought from England, uh, future of the club. And then uh, include him in the deal at a £50 million pound valuation. Because uh, you know that one will appeal to Edward where he can say, look, I, I have now got Real Madrid's great young signing of the summer as part of the deal for Paul Pogba. And this is the future. Look how clever I am. I'm sure, we know Ed Woodward's a big fan of the transfer window. So um, I'm sure he's listening. And it may well be the case that you're way ahead of the game here, Duncan, as usual, and that Longstaff will probably be a Real Madrid player by probably Friday, and then a Manchester United player by next Wednesday. Uh, so, a week Wednesday. From one horse trading proposition to another, Duncan, you've got news on Marcus Rojo, a player who never really seemed to fit in with Manchester United. And as a man, I think I may have already said this, and if not, I think it's worth saying again, whose tattoos are writing checks as talent can't cash. Um, and it's possible the case that neither can Man United get the cash for him. Well, this is the other side of um, the great rebuild that uh, Manchester United have been selling to their supporters um, since things went so badly wrong at the end of last season. And you know, we had... For example, Uli Gunnar Solskjaer after the 4-0 defeat of Everton coming out and, and saying, I've said all along I'm going to be successful here and there are players here that won't be part of that successful team. Um, and there's been an expectation that a lot of players would be shifted out this summer and, and clearly something along those lines needs to happen. I mean, Manchester United's turnover of players compared to their competitors at the top end of the division is extremely low, uh, which is surprising given that they have been um, less successful uh, on the field than their competitors. If you compare the turnover at Liverpool, Manchester City in particular, it's a huge number, uh, higher number of players going out the door at Liverpool and Manchester City since Klopp and Guardiola have come in then have gone out the door since Edward Woodward took over as, as chief executive at Manchester United. So far, we've seen two players leave, Ander Herrera 
um, who was uh, lowballed on his uh, renewal offer from Manchester United and, and elect to leave, um, felt disrespected by the club and chose to join Paris Saint-Germain. Um, and club captain Antonio Valencia, who's also was allowed to leave um, with, when his contract expired. Um, so you can say both of those were easy for United if they'd made the decision that they didn't want those players. They just allowed them to leave the door, no cost to them. Whether, they were, whether um, the Herrera one in particular was clever, you can argue about. But no one else has gone. Marcus Rojo is one of the players who has been told he can um, is free to secure another club and to look for suitors. The problem is that um, Rojo was given a contract that's worth £8 million um, pounds a year. Uh, the season before last and is one of the most expensive uh, defenders in the Premier League and on, on a European scale extremely expensive for his age and for um, recent performances he only played 211 minutes last season uh, only made two starts managed to score one own goal um, obviously the devil it was a good own goal Duncan to be fair <laughs> it, was a, it was a spectacular one <laughs> um, but if you want to play like that out the door with such a high salary, you should not be expecting a high transfer fee. What I've been told is Manchester United said you can leave, but we want £25 million as a fee. Um, surprise, surprise, there have been no bids, um, no offers from any other clubs in Europe. The only offer that's come in uh, for Rojo is from China, where they're prepared to, to pay that money. Rojo doesn't want to move to China. Um, he actually quite enjoys his life in the north of England. Um, I think in an ideal scenario, would like to carry on uh, playing in the Premier League. But uh, I, I find it very difficult. I'll be very surprised to see if United can manage to secure an offer for a player who's paid that much money, who has um, played that few games recently. Uh, at the price of £25 million. And it doesn't seem very logical to me to work this way. Um, but it, this is a, a pattern that Ed Woodward's Manchester United have followed and that they overvalue the players on their squad um, who aren't uh, regular first-team starters. And they retain them uh, when it would be more sensible to take, just cut their losses and say, right, this player is not going to play many games for us. He's on a high wage. If we can shift him for a minimal transfer fee or even for nothing or loan him out and get another club to play, pay his wages, we should do that. But instead, they retain them. They stay in the background. They take up squad places. They take up um, foreign player places. And, um, and it makes it difficult for any manager coming in to work with the squad because he's got a group of players who aren't fit for purpose and quite and several of whom are disaffected by the position and, and aren't motivated to work. Um, but it is a pattern we've seen at United for several years now. I sometimes wonder, Duncan, if Edward Wood goes by that old adage, I think it may have been Groucho Marx who um, coined it, it's hard to say goodbye if you won't leave. And Manchester United, it's not surprising that they can't get rid of players when they keep giving them new contracts, as was the case with Phil Jones, uh, Chris Smalling. Um, you, you ask yourself, well, given Manchester United's defensive record, why would you be giving new contracts to guys like that 
when their market value clearly is nowhere near what United value them at, and then they get increased um, salaries and contracts, extensions, which suggests that they are valuable members of a squad which, in fact, is failing consistently to live up to the expectations of Manchester United's fans, of Manchester United as a football club as well. And you look at it, and if you again, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he's got a massive problem in terms of naming his 25-man squad for next season because um, eight of those players have to be um, academy-grown um, and through, which he doesn't have a problem with that in terms of finding those eight players, but he will have a problem with the actual match day 18 on a rotation basis uh, in terms of getting the best players to be in that team that are going to improve Manchester's rather dismal performances um, towards the end of last season. Um, obviously, the uh, addition of Armand Basaka has been, I think, a very, very positive one. The fee for Armand Basaka is, of course, 47 million, rising to 55 million with add-ons for a player who's only had one full season in the Premier League and has one international cap, has not played football um, in the Champions League uh, or indeed um, had any kind of, I'd say, what, two or three years experience in the Premier League to show that he can produce on a week-in, week-out basis. So I've taken a bit of a gamble on that. And they've bought Daniel James from Swansea, again, a player who's now in the Premier League. He's come from a championship club. Now, from what we hear, there, there are several targets with regards to this great rebuild that Manchester United have been promising their, their supporters. Um, but as yet, no actual business. And it brings me on to the case of another player, Duncan, um, and that's uh, Matty De Ligt, who still hasn't got a club uh, to transfer uh, out of Ajax to. Um, Manchester United have certainly um, shown a great interest in him, but are understandably cynical about the fact that Mino Raiola is his agent, and that Raiola has caused them problems already with Paul Pogba um, throughout his time at uh, Old Trafford. Uh, I was told last weekend that Raiola had again gone back to Edwardwood to offer De Ligt, and that the problems uh, in terms of De Ligt actually securing a move out of Ajax is not the fee that Ajax are asking, which is similar to the £75 million which uh, they secured from Franco de Jong uh, at Barcelona, but, of course, Mino's commission, which is coming in at around €10.5 million uh, euros net, which, of course, is even... Usually, a commission on any transfer deal for an agent is between 6 and 7.5%. 10% usually is a maximum a club will pay, but with Raiola, he always asks for more, as he did with Pogba. And I think that's been the problem, because so far, Barcelona, Juventus and Manchester United have, been, have shown willingness to um, at least pay the fee to Ajax, but not the commission to Raiola. Yeah, look, um, the price has been set by Ajax for some time. They want slightly more money than they made for Frankie de Jong. For de Jong, it was 75 million guaranteed, 11 million in bonuses. So then you're looking at 80 million euros plus uh, bonuses is probably what, what, what the deal is going to come out at. Ajax have already sold De Jong. Um, the, the fee they take for De Jong is almost 80% of their, the club's entire revenue on their last accounts, which tells you that they're not uh, a forced seller here. Um, the reason they're allowing De Ligt to leave is because De Ligt has asked um, 
to be allowed to leave this summer uh, because there is such great interest in him from the top clubs in Europe. And Ajax are perfectly within the rights to say we have a defender that is admired um, almost globally. Uh, he's, he's still a teenager. You're getting potentially by signing him 15 years of uh, elite centre-back. The price of centre-backs in world football has never been higher. Um, you have a club in Leicester City uh, asking for a world record fee for a player who's never played a Champions League match and Harry Maguire, who probably wouldn't get into the international teams of, of some of the top countries in the world. Therefore, we think our player is better. We think um, we should be able to secure at least that amount of money uh, for him. And uh, we'll wait to find which club he decides to go to, which they've allowed him to do. They've allowed De Ligt the opportunity to choose his club on the proviso that that club meets his money. Um, Juventus, as we told you the other day, have had an advantage in this discussion because of the new tax law that's coming in Italy, um, which will start uh, from January next year and which allows incoming foreign workers of, of every variety, but it's obviously particularly relevant to footballers, a 50% deduction on the top rate of tax, which allows them to pay net salary with just... Um, the 21.5% it would be in Italy uh, for the club to cover. Uh, so they can afford to offer to lift a higher salary um, and therefore afford uh, to pay more as a commission to Raiola because the overall, overall cost of the deal comes down. They've not, as I understand it, come to a direct agreement with Ajax over the fee. The information from Italy is that they've, uh, they've offered considerably less than the, the price Ajax are asking in the hope that Ajax will cave and take that money. Um, it's, it's, I, I think it's, it's, this is a, a, it's going to be an interesting test case because De Ligt is hugely popular in Ajax. He's, a, he's been brought up at the club. He captained the club to their best season for years. Um, very unfortunate not to make the Champions League final. Uh, a leader um, in in these circumstances, you would often see a player, particularly one who's advised by Mino Raiola, um, being asked to force his way out of the club. So to make the kind of statements that Paul Pogba has been making, saying it's time for a new challenge and um, I, I want to go elsewhere. Um, you could go, then go to the step of, of causing problems. There's various tactics you can apply as a player to, to force your exit. It would be really disappointing, I think, if Raiola gets someone like De Ligt, who is young and so popular at his club, to go down that route to try uh, and uh, ensure Ajax take a lower fee and Raiola makes more money on the commission for the deal. Um, and I'm intrigued to see how, how this one develops in the next few weeks. I wonder, Duncan, um, one of our um, listeners had a, a great question for us I think it was three or four weeks ago about why do the top clubs not get together and basically coalesce and say uh, we're not going to be held to ransom um, by for these massive fees anymore or the commissions or anything else and of course you know we replied with realistic um, answers which was that well there's always going to be a price there's always going to be someone willing to pay that bit more to get the best player etc etc I think what's very intriguing about Delict is 
he's been available. Everyone's known he's been available in European football for um, the last four to five months. Everyone saw his performances in taking Ajax uh, to the Eredivisie Championship, probably more importantly, to Champions League semi-final as well. I just wonder if clubs like Manchester United, Juventus, um, PSG, have all been linked with the player, even um, Barcelona as well, I should say. They talk to each other. You would like to think, and, I, and we, we know that they do, on a kind of weekly basis about this and that and players are coming and going and everything else. And everyone's at each club has got a contact with who's high up so they can send a WhatsApp message or an email or just make a casual call and say, do you know what? This guy, Raiola, is taking the mickey out of all of us. We should all just decide not to pay the commission on the list. Otherwise... Every time one of his clients moves, we're all going to be held to ransom. It could even be called a uh, mean ransom note. Uh, you know, I could see a, a an email kind of um, subject uh, context. We know a mean ransom note. Let's not do it um, because it is effectively uh, it's kind of it's, it's against, not against the rules, but it's against tradition in terms of what agents are expected and require in terms of their payment. It's happened in exceptional circumstances in some transfers. Paul Pog was being the most recent and probably the most expensive. But it would, it would, I would like to think, I would like to think that in this case, the clubs, and I do believe that this is the case, are basically reneging on buying delict, not because of the transfer fee, but because of the commission being asked for by his agent, which extends that of uh, financial commitment beyond what it should be. Well, there is that possibility, but ultimately you're talking about a competitive um, market to secure the best talent. Um, there's a reason why Ajax are asking so much money for De Ligt, and there's a reason why Raiola is asking such a high commission. There's a reason why he's asking for such high wages. It's because he's the most attractive talent on the market um, therefore you get that uh, the market effect of competing uh, parties who want to secure it having to pay uh, having to convince the player to come to them but having to pay the price that's being asked maybe Raiola won't get the money because he's asking too much the, the salary that Barcelona have agreed to pay the lift of 9 million euros net is already extremely high for a player of his age um, it, it, you can see how it's merited by his potential, but it's it's already at the top end. That the transfer fee would be um, a record fee for a centre back. So again, top end. Um, so and the, and the calculation as we've talked about before isn't just um, is it acceptable to pay that much for a centre back? Is that is a centre back worth that much to us? It's what are the repercussions of bringing a 19-year-old into our squad um, who's only played two full seasons um, of professional football, regardless of how talented he is? If we put him in our group and give him one of the highest salaries in the group and, and much higher than some more experienced players who've been very important to an incredibly successful team, the repercussions are that those players will come to us and say, well, if you're paying him that much, you're going to have to pay us 
significantly more too. Therefore, the, 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 the overall cost of the transfer goes up again because you end up um, increasing wages throughout the team to keep everyone else happy. So that, that's the calculation, certainly, that's been going on at Barcelona. Um, and the calculation elsewhere is, is the total cost acceptable for us to do the deal? Um, with Manchester City, who, who liked the lift a lot, who, as I've said in the podcast before, people at Ajax expected to sign the player um, at one stage last season, there's also the calculation of we do not like doing business with Bino Raiola. Um, Raiola has a bad relationship with our manager um, and we have uh, major reservations about getting involved with someone uh, regardless of how good the player is and having him in our squad because we know we've seen the way he behaves with players seen the way he agitates for moves we've seen the way he pressures managers to to play his players in positions that suit him or give them um, special treatment and and that's not probably not worth the risk in that case um, so down the line, those decisions, you'll see these decisions being taken now. And, and if the lift goes to Juventus, for example, and uh, Raiola then forces a move two years later, perhaps Juventus will not want to get involved with Mino Raiola again. Um, but that's, that's the risk and, and a decision that they have to take. But, you know... <sighs> Clubs want the best players and what Mino Raiola has been exceptionally good at is um, managing to get himself in a position of representing top talents. He clearly has a, an aptitude for convincing um, players that he will serve their best interests and he will um, get them to uh, top clubs and he will get them large contracts. And, and he's, he has, to be fair to him, demonstrated that on a repeated basis uh, with what he did with Paul Pogba, taking him from Manchester United as a youth player, with a, an array of players across European football. He, um, he's been successful in that regard. So he is still in a position of power in terms of being the man who um, represents these players and is the man able to demand that degree of commission from the top, a, a series of the top clubs in Europe who are competing for one of his players' signature. Now, I'm not sure if anyone could hear the cackling of crows in the background while Duncan was talking. I, I suspect there's no coincidence that a murder of crows has suddenly appeared when we're talking about Mino Raiola, <laughs> um, one of my favourite ever uh, uh, parts of uh, you know the uh, gen the uh, specifics of um, names for packs in this case. Barcelona, we talked about in terms of delict. Um, they seem to be central to a lot of this summer's transfer sagas. Um, Neymar obviously drags on, delict drags on. But one of the stranger ones, Duncan, is Antoine Griezmann, a player who um, I think only just three weeks ago, a good friend uh, Graham Hunter um, told us that that Barcelona were waiting until July the second because the buyout clause in Griezmann's contract reduced to 120 million euros um, and that Barcelona were waiting simply to buy the player uh, at that lower fee. Now, that's not happened yet. Griezmann has become um, publicly anxious about the fact that um, his deal has not been concluded. And in fact, rumblings from Atletico as well over last weekend that they feel that Barcelona have been disrespectful because they believed they had a, a deal 
<clears throat> that would be honoured and that the player was told he could leave. The player himself did that, um, you know, now uh, customary uh, video, which he posted on social media about his intentions to leave. He seems to be kind of hung out to dry a little bit here. Do you have any insight, Duncan, on why, um, now, now that we're 8th of July, 9th of July, that, that you know, Griezmann's transfer hasn't been done? Well, I think there's there's quite a few elements here. Um, I think we we talked several weeks ago on the transfer window about how Atletico are well were well aware that uh, Barcelona had approached Griezmann about coming this summer, and they feel that an agreement was put in place um, off the books, if you like, a gentleman's agreement between Barcelona and Griezmann that he would move in the summer once his release clause had come down from the 200 million euro figure to the 120 million euro figure. And there's a, an argument that Atletico have been trying to pursue is that because that agreement was made while the release clause was 200 million euros and because Griezmann announced his decision to leave um, Atletico, although he didn't say where he was going, while the 200 million euro release clause was still in, in place, that the price should be 200 million euros because that, um, is the rescission was effectively made. Rescission decision was made by Griezmann ahead of uh, the end of the season. And the price at that point was £200 million. Um, and Barcelona had uh, induced him to leave by um, offering him a contract there and convincing him to come. Therefore, legally, that's what they should be prepared to pay. Barcelona then further annoyed Atletico, and this is why Atletico made this, the statement last week, I'm told, by saying, we will pay you 120 million, we're not going to pay you 200, but we'll pay the 120, but we're not going to pay it all in one go. Um, we want to split payment, um, I'm told, into three parts over multiple years, obviously to reduce the, the, the cost to um, to Barcelona's accounts and make their accounts look better each year because they're not putting a 120 million payment down um, immediately in one go to take the player. Atletico are obviously unhappy about that. Note here that um, Atletico have also just lost Rodri to Manchester City um, where a release clause was used to extract the player um, from Atletico and Atletico has insisted that um, rather than the 70 million be paid in parts or be paid as a standard transfer fee, that Manchester City would have to go to the, um, the league offices in Spain and formally pay the clause. So uh, demonstrating to their fans that they wanted to retain the player. But there's also an interesting element here in that there could be tax implications for uh, Manchester City in doing that. Um, there was an argument about rescission clauses because the, they're, they're supposed to be paid by the player, even if the, the club um, obviously gives the money to the player to pay them, that that then becomes a, a tax liability for the player because he's received the payment of tens of millions of euros, in Rodri's case, 70 million euros um, from Manchester City, which immediately went... Uh, to uh, to Atletico as a release clause. So in principle, his income for the year had been 70 million higher. In Spain, that problem's been sorted out in that if it's another Spanish club paying, 
the, the liability gets cancelled against the immediate payment, there's no extra tax cost. Partly, the, when it comes to a foreign club, that hasn't been tested because it's a foreign entity. So, so there could be a situation where Manchester City have to pay a little bit of extra money to cover uh, Rodri's tax liability in Spain over that um, formal paying of the release clause rather than it being a, an agreed transfer fee, which is norm, what normally happens when, when clubs buy um, players on release clause, as um, City did with American Port, for example. That's very interesting, Duncan, because I remember when um, the infamous situation when PSG bought Neymar, two gentlemen from the Qatari owners, and um, I suspect must have been executives of Paris Saint-Germain, turned up at the LFP offices and allegedly handed over a bank draft for, was it 220 million euros? Now, that's a serious amount of tax for Neymar to have to pay, given that they were also a foreign entity. Yeah, and given that Neymar's had uh, tax problems in the past because of the way he was bought by Barcelona, (laughs) funnily enough, from... uh, from Brazil in, in the first place in a, in a hidden deal. Um, so there are complications there and um, Barcelona are still involved in a, a legal case, amusingly, with Neymar's um, father over his uh, uh, commission on uh, Neymar's renewal of his contract, which they waited uh, for the date to be due before he decided to announce that he was moving to Paris Saint-Germain. So the... These kind of legal technicalities, um, when you're dealing with such large sums of money, um, are important. And I think they're being used, uh, will be used as leverage points by Atletico um, while dealing with Barcelona. And, and remember, um, there's also a, a possibility that uh, Nelson Semedo will be thrown into that deal. So, so Atletico have there's a reason why Atletico could be looking for leverage and that they would like to take Nelson Semedo, the Barcelona right-back, uh, from Barcelona. But they value him at €30 million, Euros, and Barcelona are valuing him at €50 million Euros, and want to include him as part payment for the Griezmann. So lot, lots of little pieces going on um, and lots of uh, laws and contract details being used by both clubs um, to to try and gain the maximum advantage for, and I think that's why you see the delay on on Griezmann being announced. What what I was told um, last week after uh, two senior recruitment figures they resigned, Jordi Mestre, the vice president and the general uh, manager Pep Segura, um, was that that would make no substantial difference to Barcelona's transfer policy for the summer. They're trying to sign Griezmann, they are trying to sign Neymar, and they want to move out Philip Coutinho. Two little technical details, which I think is, is quite intriguing, uh, and we've, I think we've mentioned them, but maybe not explained them in full before on the transfer window, which I think uh, people will be interested in. Is, first of all, most player contracts end on June the 30th, which means um, bonuses etc. related to their contracts are paid then. So for those of you who, a lot of you have asked, been asking on um, Twitter and social media about why there's this sudden outburst of activity in the market. Um, it's mainly because uh, player contracts 
and financial fair play years end on June the 30th. That's why we've seen this um, sudden increase in deals being done since that date. Secondly, as Duncan was explaining, um, clubs used to, and it was absolutely the case, that um, transfer fees were paid in instalments. And the person who completely changed those in three most clubs who dealt with Chelsea in terms of the money that they were outlaying on transfer fees were surprised and greatly, um, I think, benefited from the fact that they simply got the fee up front. And that's now because of um, Abramovich's uh, policy and because of Chelsea's spending in that way, it's now the case that it's not um, the, uh, out with the boundaries of any club to ask for the transfer fee up front so that they can reinvest that. Whereas before 2003, most clubs would not expect nor even um, ask if the fee could be paid up front, unless, of course, it was a, a small fee but below €10 million um, Euros or less. So it's interesting that um, this new situation has existed only in the past uh, 16 years and is becoming quite a normal process, Duncan, with regards to um, the way that f- uh, transfer fees are paid. And of course, clubs can uh, borrow money from financial institutes in order at uh, small interest rates in order to facilitate the payment of a fee up front, like the one perhaps that Manchester United are demanding for Paul Pogba, but at the same time, not having to include that in their um, in the financial results, if you like, because it's a loan. Well, just just one aside on that, um, I was talking to someone who had gone through Newcastle United's books uh, as part of a prospective uh, takeover bid, which didn't materialise. And uh, he told me that what Mike Ashley did at Newcastle United was um, quite bizarre in, in an accounting sense, in that he would pay transfer fees in full for the players um, he was buying up front, but would be prepared to take payments on uh, an instalment basis and players he was selling, which seems um, illogical, unless, of course, um, you want to make uh, the club's books look um, uh, less attractive uh, than they should be and, and make it look as though you're spending more on transfers than you actually are and make it look as though you can afford to do any more in the transfer market because um, you have big, uh, a big outlay, effective outlay on transfer fees and uh, not so much coming in each year. Are you saying that Mike Ashley cannot afford Pierre Van Hoydonk's full-length Versace leather white coat? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I'm not saying that. I'm not sure he'd be able to get into it, however. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's interesting. Though. What, so why, is that because he wants to fool the fans, Duncan, uh, into thinking that the club are spending more than they actually are? Well, that was the the implication, or that was the 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 theory of the person who was looking at the books. Um, and and let's face it, um, a lot of Mike Ashley's management of Newcastle United has been about uh, lowering fans' expectations and saying um, we can't afford to do any more in the transfer market. I'm doing what is uh, financially sensible to do and won't go any further. So if, that, if, that, if that's the way you want to run a club because you are, um, you're quite happy to have it ticking along 
uh, not costing you any money with the perspective of, of selling it at profit down the line because it is an attractive, uh, hugely well-supported uh, Premier League club with a big big stadium and the potential to do well, then maybe that is a sensible way to go about things. Very intriguing. Now, we don't normally um, talk about a club who is banned from doing transfers on the Transfer Window podcast for reasons that I probably don't need to explain. However, um, it's come to our attention that obviously with Frank Lampard's confirmation, as we told you first on this podcast uh, being confirmed, that he will do a similar um, job that he did at Derby County and that is by introducing young players into the squad. Unfortunately, he's been handicapped in that by unfortunate injuries to three of Chelsea's top young talents, Rhys James at right back, Callum Hudson-Odoi, and also Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who's just been confirmed has been given a five-year contract. Now, my information is that as a result of some of that, certainly Ruben Loftus-Cheek, that Danny Drinkwater, of all people, a man who's been in the wilderness um, under Maurizio Sarri, um, and indeed you know, hasn't made Chelsea appearance, one appearance in, in total last season, has been told that he's got an opportunity to prove himself and give himself the possibility of partnering uh, in Colo Conte in midfield next season uh, in a, uh, a 4-2-3-1 formation. Um, at the same time, Tammy Abraham, uh, I understand, will be made the lead striker ahead of the experienced Olivier Giroud. Um, and also that uh, Mason Mount, will, who's also had a new contract, will play as a number 10. Duncan, is it going to be difficult for Lampard, given the injuries that uh, I described uh, to implement this policy of the young Turks overtaking the senior players? Or, or do you think he's going to be allowed to time in order that he can actually introduce those guys once they're fit again? I think, well, the, the story that was told to him and when the, the job was offered to him was that he would be allowed time. This was the opportunity to take advantage of the academy, to take advantage of players that... Um, Chelsea have had out on loan for several years um, and bring them back into the team and integrate them and make them work together. Um, I, it's obviously um, a drawback, a major drawback that both um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Callum Hudson-Odoi uh, have gone down with uh, Achilles tendon ruptures at the end of last season. Unusual injuries in football and some of the, the, the hardest ones to recover from. Um, so it would it would have been a lot easier for Lampard if he'd had what most people regard as the two best of those academy products available to them. Um, but there are other players there, as you say, Tammy Abraham uh, is one that uh, that people at the club are excited about him having the opportunity to be the number nine, the starting number nine at Chelsea, and and I believe that is Frank Lampard's intention to, to use him there and give him the opportunity to, to prove himself. Um, within the club, they would like to see Rhys James retained and have the opportunity. Unfortunately, James as well um, recently got injured on international duty, so um, not the best of circumstances uh, to, to, to have his first pre-season in which... Uh, to establish himself as, as one of Lampard's players. Interestingly, someone at Chelsea said to me that the, the injury to Hudson-Odoi might have a, a silver lining in the sense that it's calmed some of the expectation and hyper, hyperbole around the player, um, which they felt was getting 
uh, somewhat out of control uh, uh, last season for obvious reasons because you've got uh, a young You're, you're referring to the, the interest from Bayern Munich, obviously, yeah? Well, yes, the, the, the interest from Bayern Munich, I think, set that into overdrive. But seen, we've seen it with English, young English talents all the time, particularly at these top teams. As soon as they get anywhere near the first team, as soon as they do anything substantial, they, the press around them is that of this is the future of, of England. This is a, you know, an extra special player before they've had the proper opportunity to demonstrate that. And that obviously is hard for a player to deal with um, because they're being told they're um, better than what they've demonstrated themselves to be in reality on the football pitch so far. Um, and yeah, I, I was speaking to someone at Chelsea. He felt that, that the, the, the setback, the injury setback, could be good in terms of dampening that sense of expectation around Hudson Odoi. Um, interestingly, I think there, uh, what happens with the supposed Eden Hazard replacement, Christian Pulisic, I think is um, is is going to be uh, interesting to watch because uh, there is going to be a huge amount of expectation on Pulisic because he's been described as the Hazard replacement, and he's obviously not. Um, as good a player as Eden Hazard at this stage of his career. Um, also has barely played club football uh, in the last six months because uh, he, was, he was shifted out of the Borussia Dortmund first team um, after that, that deal was agreed. So it's, I think, going to be a difficult introdu- introduction for Pulisic, not having played football for that length of time. And... Uh, being the big money transfer because it was done in January, but he arrives at the club this summer. Um, and with a manager who had uh, nothing whatsoever to do with, with his recruitment. How, how, what's your sense on how Lampard sees Pulisic fitting into his plans? I think it's very interesting that Chelsea as a club um, have a policy, which to be fair is not unusual, that when they send players out on loan, they do so under the conditions that that player will play. Now, they bought Pulisic and then loaned him back to Borussia Dortmund and he didn't play. Um, and that was a bit of a bizarre one. Um, as far as I can, I, I, I'm told, and you know, speaking to people at Chelsea and people close to Frank Lampard, um, he sees a, a lot of potential in Pulisic. But having lost Hazard, um, he was very keen to reassure both Pedro and William that they had um, his confidence and that he would be relying on them initially, certainly, to begin the season as the wide players in the attacking three, and that Pulisic would probably alternate with Mason Mount in the number ten position with Abraham up front. So it will be it will be very interesting to see how that pans out. Um, I think with Azard, obviously, in the last few seasons, um, Pedro and William have basically been rotated, uh, despite the fact they've got very very good statistics and very good figures with regards to goals and assists as well. So um, it'll be, uh, I think it's going to be a little bit of um, the, the young and the old uh, for Frank Lampard when the season starts because of the injuries that we've already spoken about, because of the fact that, um, look, he said himself, you know, I don't want to be judged in my playing career. I'm a winner. I want to win as a manager as well. I don't want anyone to give me special treatment um, regarding the fact that uh, what my playing career was at this club, et cetera, et cetera. So he's, he's no fool in that sense. He's not going to simply put 11 kids out. The advantage he has, as you said, Duncan, is that um, with no transfer 
uh, um, availability in this window or indeed January because of the ban, um, he will be, it's not a free hit, That's not because Frank doesn't do free hits, um, but it will be a case that he'll be able to put young players in the team and then if they learn a, a lesson by getting uh, you know, thrashed by uh, you know, a team better than them, et cetera, et cetera, then he can say, well, look, these guys have got to learn. This is what it's about. You, know, you can't expect to win all the time or you can't expect to win most of the time. Sometimes you get turned over and they have to learn that lesson. And if they're not in the team, they can't learn that lesson. So I suspect that's exactly the attitude he's going to be taking with Chelsea this uh, season coming with regards to the, the younger players, but he'll give himself the um, safety net of still obviously relying on senior professionals with regards to certain positions and ensuring that you know, Chelsea are competitive uh, in all areas. And that brings us, Duncan, to one of our favourite times of the week, which is the Heroes and Villains uh, section of the Monday podcast. Uh, there's been a few, that has to be said, uh, very good candidates for this. Um, Duncan, I'm going to let you go first on the villains because it's one of your favourite topics. And um, tell us, please, who in the last few days has been outrageous and outraging football with regards to their behaviour or indeed what they've been doing? Well, um, I think we have to... You have multiple options these days in VAR or, or Valerie, as you, you like to, to call the system. Um <laughs> We, we seem to get, you know... Why don't you come on any, over? <laughs> <laughs> whenever there's any football on, uh, there's a, a VAR controversy. But um, America's managed to come up with a particularly special one this week, um, which is uh, Wayne Rooney um, tackling uh, an FC Dallas opponent, um, Michael Barrios, from behind. Um, I say tackling... Um, advisedly as it's he basically kicks Barrios above the knee um, with the player um, well well past him and uh, really having no chance ever of, of catching him up breaking into the into the uh, DC United half the referee uh, makes a very easy and correct decision of sending um, Rooney off and, and then um, Valerie intervenes and, and says no that wasn't a red card uh, you made a clear and obvious error when Rooney stays on the pitch um, and I just wonder if we're, we're now seeing a, another little element to VR, which is the um, expensive players in leagues that spend a lot of money recruiting expensive star names. Marquee designated player signings. Players who live in big tents, <laughs> apparently. Players on high salaries who we, we who bring the crowds in, get VAR to overturn the red card decisions so they're not suspended for multiple matches. Um, Yes, that, that appears to be what's happening in MLS and uh, I won't be surprised if we see it happening in the Premier League uh, to overturn decisions for uh, star names or um, the bigger, uh, more um, compelling uh, clubs that uh, the, the leagues like to see competing at the, at the key end of the season because it brings in the TV revenue. Well, as usual, people, Duncan Castle's called it here first. Just remember where you heard it. Just make that, make sure that you write down where you were when Duncan said in the Premier League next season we'll be overturning red cards for players who live in big tents. Uh, <laughs> I'm very, very pleased to uh, be the hero nominator of this particular podcast. Megan Rapinoe, still staying with the good old US of A, um, a, a multi, multi uh, decorated player, but 
it's not just about winning the World Cup. It's about her attitude. She's already called out lots of different people. Gianni Infantino, an old friend of the podcast to start as well. But also, most importantly, I think, the president of the United States of America, Donald Trump, because she will refuse to go to the White House for the reception for USA's World Cup winning women's team. And the reason for that is, well, you know what he's charged she is, and it doesn't look pretty. And she's basically said, I'm not interested in meeting this guy because he doesn't represent me or anything that I believe in. Megan Rapinoe, take a bow. You are the Transfer Window Podcast Hero of This Week. We, as in our heroes of the Transfer Window Podcast, and that I say only because Duncan is the hero, uh, will be back on Wednesday with your questions answered. If you like what you hear, and as you know, we're getting very close to the million mark for listens, people. The million mark. That's all down to you, and we thank you for that. Please uh, continue the debate with us. Duncan's on at Duncan Castles on Twitter. I'm at GarboSJ. And of course, the transfer at Transfer Podcast is the uh, account of the podcast. Uh, we did welcome your questions for Wednesday's podcast. We will also tweet that out. But please, when you're listening today, think about what you want to talk about, what you want us to talk about on Wednesday and let us know. If you like what you hear, and we know you do, and we've said it so many times, give something back. Get onto iTunes, give us a five-star review. We will see you through the transfer window. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.